You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that A. So once again, I've got the great, the one and only Mr. Coach Hahn. Mr. Coach Hahn, thank you for joining me again. My pleasure, man. You know I look forward to this. <laughs> you know, when I went back and listened to the last episode, I really wish that there was video because I would say stuff and you would respond visually but when I listened to it and I couldn't see like you're nodding and all that stuff, I was like, man, it just sounds like I'm saying stuff and coach is just like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, not like, no, truth. no. He, he thought that was a good question. I promise you he did. I saw the look on his face. He liked it. Uh, anyways. All right. So uh, we got a ton of questions. I really appreciate everybody submitting their questions and um, we're not going to get through them all, but if you asked a question and we don't answer it, um, coach is going to be back. So we'll get to it. If you want to kind of hit me up and be like, Hey, you didn't answer it. We'll try to throw it to the top or whatever. But I wanted to start off with a question of my own. You mentioned, um, to us that you were going to be ripping through that horrible loss that the Packers endured to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And a lot of us were very curious as far as what went wrong and, and what you saw from a coaching perspective. So I'm just curious, man, what, uh, what did you find when you were going through that game? Sure. Um, as you mentioned, first and foremost, man, we got a ton of questions and that's, that's exciting. Um, not all of them I can answer. Number one, you know, I don't have all the answers. Number two, um, not all of them I'm really comfortable answering. So some of that personnel stuff or depth chart stuff, you know, I have no idea on, on that sort of stuff. Um, but I can certainly help you out with some of the scheme stuff um, that I saw. And then circling back to your question. Um, yeah, I spent all day yesterday kind of freed up unexpectedly. So I, I spent all day yesterday looking at that MC championship game and just kind of seeing what went wrong specifically in the trenches right because a lot of people had questions about you know why was the Packers pass protection so so horrid it seemed and then why was the Buccaneers um but why why couldn't the Packers get pressure on Tom Brady so I really specifically looked at the trenches in there um specific to the pass game and came up with um what I think are a couple of answers so Number one, this is a, a philosophical question as far as how you want to use your running back um, in the pass pro scheme. And we saw two glaring differences in teams and how they did it. Uh, Green Bay loves the leak. They love using the running back as the hot check, right? So essentially, you've got five. You, you got your five O-linemen. Um, you're you're kind of playing it for the most part like empty protection where you're not banking on having any sort of max from a running back or a tight end. Um, anything like that. You're pretty much five on whatever. And then should they bring a sixth, Green Bay likes to leak the running back out and have a hot check where if they bring that sixth or we know we can't block them, zip it right to the running back. Um, Tampa Bay, we saw adjusted very well. I'll, I'll bring up a specific play in just a bit. Tampa Bay adjusted very well to some of the things that Green Bay did with their defensive line and their linebackers to allow that running back to actually help and pass protection. So another thing to consider is, and every, everybody kind of gets on me for this. Um, at JJ, I'm looking at you specifically. Everybody thinks I'm an O-line apologist and especially a Billy Turner apologist. And I guess in a way I am. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sitting here trying to make excuses for play, but in context, we have to remember, you have essentially a really good right guard that's now playing left tackle against the premier defensive line against the, the, the supremely coached defensive line against a, a really well thought out and really well balanced defensive line. And it's, it, it should be no surprise to green Bay, right? You guys saw Tampa week five, Tampa obliterated your, your offensive line then with some really intelligent rushes with steering some pass protection with firing linebackers and twists and stunts and all that stuff. You guys saw it week five, or was it week six? I don't, I don't remember which one that was, but you saw them earlier in the season. So um, you kind of knew what you were getting into and you had a left tackle out there to me, philosophically, I'd have held that running back in as much as possible. Um, and I, I can't wait. I'm doing a video on it uh, as well. So you guys can see kind of visually some of the things that I'm talking about. Cause it's, it's probably kind of hard to, to 
think about this in an X's and O's format. Unfortunately, NFL Game Pass um, has uh, has not been working out lately. Game Pass is, has uh, made coaches film and the un- all 22 unavailable. Yeah. Um, so I had to rip it from the side view and a condensed view, like some sort of peasant. And it, it just didn't work out very well, but um, I will be making a video on it as well. What it really boils down to is Green Bay philosophically wants to get the ball out to the running back hot. Tampa Bay would be a okay using that running back to aid the offensive line. Here's the problem with that though. Now, all the way up to this point, Green Bay was able to get that running back out hot and get big chunk yards against blitzes, twists, stunts. Anytime Rogers got pressure, he knew where the check down was. He could fire that and you could get chunk plays all the way up until the NFC championship game. The real key difference is now you got Levante David and you got Devin White. These two dudes, those two inside backers are are different when it comes to coverage. They're fast enough to keep up with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon and Jamal Williams. They're scrimmage at least long enough to throw the timing off. So you, you saw a lot of maladjusted routes. You saw a lot of checkdowns to, to Jones, you know, even Jones's fumble in the second quarter or third quarter, uh, second quarter, um, coming across in a mesh pattern. Uh, they, they knew exactly what was coming. I mean, Devin white funneled him right to Whitehead perfectly it's it was almost a a scripted play they knew exactly what was coming for tampa so some of that stuff philosophically you got to be up in the booth right away you got to be like hey you know they're they're pounding the running back they're they're checking him at the line of scrimmage they're throwing him off timing routes we might as well just hold him in might as well just keep him in or a chip and go type of setup because they came inside on your tackles rick wagner who we know is not a, a, a starting right tackle in this league right And then Billy Turner at left tackle, you know, he's playing out of position as well. They're coming inside. They're forcing inside leverage on him. Like put the running back there. Um, And that's what Tampa did. So two plays before Tampa's touchdown at the end of the half, that, that bomb to Scotty Miller, where he got behind Kevin King. I think we all kind of remember that one. Um, Two plays before that green Bay actually got a pass rush. It was the wildest thing in the world. You wouldn't believe it, but they went ahead and got great pressure on Brady and pummeled him because they got inside leverage on the left tackle for Tampa and fired through and, and popped it. But they did have a shot down the sidelines. Brady had to get rid of it early. They saw that um, it became fourth down and three after they got pressure on it. So they hit Leonard Fournette in the flat, picked up the first down and came right back to the play. However, the difference is, they kept Leonard Fournette in now and had him cross Brady's face and help the inside leverage of that left tackle, knowing that was going to come again. Um, so I can't wait to show you this on video because it's literally the same play. They brought pressure again, Green Bay, to the inside of the left tackle. Fournette picks it up, you know, and, and Miller slips behind King for the touchdown. So there's adjustments that were made on the offensive side for the Buccaneers that I thought could have been made for green Bay, possibly a little bit earlier. Um, They did start to make that you'll see late third quarter and definitely all of the fourth quarter when things kind of started clicking for green Bay. Um, They made that adjustment. They had a lot of chip and go stuff and just some max protection from the running back, but you know, might, might've been too little too late. I mean, 21, 10 at at half, that's, it's a significant hill to to start that second half off in. Um, Oh, go ahead. Did you have a question? No, no, I go ahead. I'll, I'll wait until you're done. All right. Uh, conversely, boy, was Green Bay vanilla on the defensive line, man. Whew. And this comes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier in last week's podcast is without a doubt, Petten runs his defense through the secondary, you know, so he's making sure that his secondary is taken care of that you're not going to get beat deep. I don't want to call it playing safe per se, but it's kind of that feeling of create that shell and then hopefully your guys can get that pass rush, right? Well, when you do that, it becomes pretty easy with an offensive line. If you're rushing three and rushing four, you have no twist game, no stunts, no movement on the D line. You've got these three or four dudes just firing off. Um, It it becomes pretty easy to, to pass pro against, to scheme against. And um, it comes pretty easy for your O-line. You know exactly where they're going. And the O-line knows the snap count. Well, that's pretty easy. There wasn't a lot of twist and stunt game going on. Uh, as a matter of fact, 
if my numbers serve me right, and forgive me, I don't have my notes here, but if my numbers serve me right, I believe Brady had 34 or 36 pass attempts, and I counted five times that the defensive line threw throughout the whole game, five times that the defensive line got off their landmarks, or meaning, you know, they had a twist or a stunt or, or, or um, a slant, you know, something like that. Um, I remember specifically late in the, or excuse me, early in the fourth quarter, um, Green Bay went ahead and actually slanted the D-line. It was wild. They slanted them to the boundary. Everybody pulled. You dragged an outside backer. It was the nickel, actually. Dragged him off the edge. Brady got hit as he threw because he had to put it up quick. There was a miscommunication between Brady and Fournette on who would pick up that outside backer. He got hit immediately, had to just throw a jump ball to Mike Evans, put it up too long, and Jair ended up with a pick. So after that, you know, Green Bay started to say, hey, you know, we can get pressure on Brady with three and four if we move him around, even five if we move him around, but it, it, it might have been too little too late. So I guess to boil it all down, because I'm just rambling now, um, Green Bay didn't move much on the D-line. Tampa Bay moved all over the place. And uh, Green Bay did not help much with the running back, and Tampa adjusted really well and, and helped out quite a bit. So you- I remember this kind of reminds me of last year. You talked specifically a lot about special teams and um, kind of how bad they did specifically in their ability to adjust and, and make changes and, you know, being vanilla, like you said, if they don't change this, they're in a lot of trouble because they're, they're tells, you know, if, if they send an extra guy, whatever, whatever the case may be um, you mentioned the offensive line now or the, the offense not making proper adjustments. And we kind of know the defense and Petten was never really that great at or, or willing to make adjustments. I, I don't mean to ask why, because I, I guess who knows, but what, is it maybe because it's somewhat of a young, inexperienced coaching staff? I mean, we've got these, these teams that are, have got real experienced coaches and they've been in the league a long time and they seem to be really good at not just game planning, but if something's working, we're going to hammer it. And if it's not working, we're going to make adjustments, but almost – in a way, they're almost kind of baiting, like you said. They, they, the Packers finally had success, and so on that other play, what they do is they say, "We know they're going to do this, so we're going to almost bait them into it, and then do this, and then have success." I mean, that just seems like what a veteran team, from a coaching standpoint, does, and it just seems like the Packers don't really have that yet. Do you think maybe that's a lack of experience, or, or what's the problem with that? It's certainly possible. Now, and um, just for context, guys, I. <laughs> I am a high school football coach. These guys are, are absolute professionals. I mean, they're they're much better than me at this. So it's not like I'm coming out, you know, two guns ablaze and just saying, here's everything you did wrong. I'm just looking at it with the luxury of time, yeah. you know, on my side. Um, I'm looking at it from a standpoint of maybe some adjustments I would make if I were in that seat. But to answer your question, I think a lot of it boils down to how good are your QA and how good are your booth assistants? You know, because a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator, a position group coach, all that sort of stuff, they're juggling everything. You know, yeah. the coordinators are, are up in the, the booth and they're getting all this information, just tons of information. And they got to make, you know, kind of split second decisions on it, you know, down in distance, formation, personnel, dot, 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 dot. If I'm a, a QA forum, I'm trying to do my best to say, hey, uh, they are holding max, you know, they're keeping your running back in or they're, they're holding Max on a chip and go. And then I'm going to put one of my more athletic linebackers in. I, I would suggest, you know, hey, put Kiki in. Um, let him go ahead and mirror the running back and we'll play a cover four shell over it or something like that. Um, obviously, I don't know any of the, the communication they have. I don't know the information that they're getting, but it seems like an adjustment that could have been made. And it's really easy to say five months removed from it. All right. So I want to uh, quickly transition over to the questions. I want to start off with Twitter. We only got about three questions there, so we'll start there. I uh, got a question from Suburbanized Viking. He says, after watching all the OSU tape, what did you think of Justin Fields? I know you're not a quarterback guy, but you have watched a lot of the tape. So what were your thoughts on Justin Fields? He's good, guys. I mean, it, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's completely open-ended, um, but I, I have watched a lot of Ohio State stuff, um, both forced and unforced. Again, like I said, uh, my running backs coach played at OSU. So uh, we, we, we tend to watch a lot of film. Um, he refers back to them quite a bit. Um, Justin Fields is good, guys. He is, um, I don't know how that's, nobody really knows how that's going to transfer, right? Um, it, I, it depends on 
the scheme and the trust and the relationship and dot, 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 dot down the road. But uh, it, raw physical ability or raw quarterback talent, this boy can zip it. Um, he's fast. He's smart. He's athletic. I don't know how much of it was him and how much was Ryan Day's offense. I have no idea. But uh, we're just – just looking at quarterbacks, uh, he's not your typical Ohio State quarterback. I can say that. You know, he's not Braxton. He's not Cardale Jones. You know, he is. Uh, he's a dude, um, and it's 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 going to be fun. Honestly, as a casual fan of the NFL, to sit back, um, this is going to make a, a couple of your listeners mad, probably. But I really hope he's good. Yeah. You know, I, I really do. I want to see this Bears-Packers rivalry just you know from a neutral party sitting on my couch. I want to see this thing explode. Um, and, and go back to some really hard fought battles. I don't know if it will or not, but I think he's good, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you mean because if you think you made him mad, there is a part of me that has become a big NFL fan that does want to see him become good. Now, at the Packer side of me, which is, you know, 97% of it, it wants him to fail miserably. But, but there <laughs> is something kind of cool to, I mean, even like with the Lions, I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do. Like, you know, they're starting to build it the right way. I just like the process of it all. I like to see how it all develops and how these guys work things. And it's just kind of the, the whole drama of the NFL. I'm just into it. I like it all. Um, it's going to make me miserable if they end up becoming better than the Packers. But there is, again, there is that part of me that understands exactly what you're talking about. And I, and I'm, I, I do agree. Granted, I'm not the coach. I'm mostly looking at stats and grades from PFF and all that stuff. But you put him side by side with those other OSU um, quarterbacks you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, yeah, here comes another one. He's not another one. He's he's clearly better than all those other guys, Haskins, et cetera. Doesn't mean he's going to be great. A lot of guys with good grades and everything else go on to the pros and, and um, they don't make it. But you can't compare him to those other guys. And, and really, there's not a lot of guys that do compare to him. The, the way that he played at a high level for as long as he did at a big program, um, if it doesn't work out, it's not because of anything he did in college because this guy's a – He's a special, special quarterback. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question here from Brandon vault hunting Pac-Man Johnson says, what is the difference between a D lineman being a three technique and a five technique? And I, I really hate the technique thing because I, my brain is just kind of pathetic. And so I learn it and then I forget it. And then I have to Google it every single time I'm reading an article. They're like, he's a three technique. It's like, dang it. I forgot what that means. And then they throw an eye in there and it's like, ah, man. So give me once again a rundown of how this works so I can go another three days without having to Google it. <laughs> gotcha. Hey, it took me a long time of, <laughs> of looking at it and, and, you know, Googling it, like you said, or referring back to my sheets. And then once I started coaching D-line and doing it every day, it was like, oh, yeah, duh, this, is, this makes sense. Um, and it's really kind of a crying shame. This is one of those things that would be great on a visual as yeah. well. But essentially, think of it this way. You've got an offensive line in front of you. Okay, you got five dudes on the offensive line in front of you, and you get to pick anywhere that you want to align on them. Now, there's pros and cons on your alignment. There's pros and cons on everything in football, but there's pros and cons on your alignment. If you think of it this way, this is the way that kind of made it easiest for me. Think about the offensive lineman of, across from you. Think about his relationship to the center. Okay, so if you go to a line on that offensive lineman and your nose is right in line with his nose, you are what we call an even technique. Okay. So you could be, if you're head up on that center and your nose is at the center's nose, you're what we call a zero technique. And then moving out to the guards. If your nose is, is right in line with the guards nose, you are now a two technique. And then moving out to the tackles, obviously, if your nose is in line with his nose, you are what we call a four technique. Now, if you are aligned, not nose to nose, but a little bit outside of them, so you're kind of cheating that gap to their outside, that's what we call technique. So if you align in a zero technique on the center and take a half step over so that your nose is now on his shoulder, you're in an odd technique or what we call a one technique. Then the same thing to the guard. If you move just to the outside so your nose is on his shoulder, you're a three technique and a five technique now to the tackles, okay? So that's kind of the easy way to do it. And now, like you said, we're going to throw letters in there too because it's algebra and we have to make everything tough. That's what we do as coaches. We take something very simple and we make it unnecessarily complex. So now if you go ahead and go nose to nose with an offensive lineman, say I'm nose to nose with the guard in a two technique, 
and I take a half step to his inside towards the center. So now my nose is head up on his inside shoulder. I'm that eye technique. I become a two eye or a four eye on a tackle. And there's advantages and disadvantages to all of them. And it all kind of depends on your defensive philosophy. When you're an odd technique, you're baiting a double team. If it's a, a run to your side or a run away from you, you're baiting a, a double team. You'll see Kenny Clark oftentimes align in a one technique or even a little farther out in a two eye so that he can bait that double team and keep those linebackers free. If you're aligning in an even technique, you're probably trying to attack that whole man, attack that whole offensive lineman and to gap him um, and be responsible for both gaps steering off of that O-lineman. Yeah, so I think the biggest problem, especially for me, is I, I just want it simplified, right? So I, I like, and, and this is not how it works, I fully understand. It's kind of like when we talk about you know nickel dime or any other concept, I, I just want it simple and nothing is simple. So it's, you got your... Three, four, and your four, three, and then you got your defensive tackles and you got your edge guys. That's generally how I look at it. But it's funny how, like, even if you go over to our lads where they lay out the depth charts and everything else, it's never pretty. And then you go over and look at college defense defenses and the way that they say it's like, dude, what is that? I, I used to go back and I'd be, I just want to know if this guy's an edge rusher or a defensive lineman, and I'll spend 10 minutes. I don't know because I don't know what any of this stuff means. I mean, I look at, you know, Clemson's is pretty straightforward. They got defensive tackle, defensive tackle, defensive end, defensive end, like a straight up four, three, like, all right, I get it. You go over to Arkansas, they got a defensive end, a nose tackle, a defensive tackle, and then a Jack Mike and a will. It's like, all right. So the Jack is an edge, like an outside linebacker, but the defensive end isn't, a, what is this? And it gets even crazier than that. And then they got, you know, uh, they got the F cornerback, two safeties, a B cornerback and a, and a nickel back. I, I, I mean, they, they get into some crazy stuff. So, um, I like to keep it simple. And if you're listening to the podcast, I'm going to talk to you like you're seven. Cause that's my understanding of football, but some people like something a little deeper and that's why we have coach Han here to help us out. All right. So we got a question here and i tell you what coach, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to kill my video because we're getting a little bit laggy and I just want to try to, uh, to minimize that, especially when I'm using my internet, it kind of seems to be killing it. So I'm hoping that'll help us out a little bit. But uh, Game Grave at Game Grave 69 says, why are offensive line coaches the meanest SOBs on the planet? My old coach was barely clinging to sanity. <laughs> this, is, this is such a great question. <laughs> I love this one. Um, first and foremost, I do um, thoroughly believe that every coach is barely clinging to sanity. <laughs> um, but uh, this is, it, it, it's, it's such a good question because it is, I mean, it's, real it's reality o-line coaches for any of you who have played or been around the game at all um tend to come out of this mold come out of this form of you got to have nasty you got to be mean you got to be tough you got to be you know if you're going to play off any given time and that's kind of the mold that um we're coming out of however in in our program um specifically in our community um, we can't have that thought process. It's really hard for us in this community to get offensive linemen. Um, we're not a, a community, like we're not a farm town, right? We don't just breed 6'4", 285 as a sophomore. We don't yeah. usually have that come through. Um, so we have to take a, a completely different approach. And when I was running the offensive line here at McFarland, I still work very, very heavily with the varsity offensive line you got to take a whole different approach for, for these kids anyways. So we've, we've got a theory here where we're going to make the offensive line the most fun position. Like we want kids, we don't want kids fighting to play tight end. We don't want all our big dudes being like, Oh, I got hands coach. Let me go catch touchdowns. No, we want them fighting to play offensive line. And the ones who suck at offensive line, well, now you can go play tight end. You know what I mean? Um, so so we kind of had to take a different approach, but you're absolutely right. It used to be that way. And in a lot of programs it is because on the offensive line, you literally hit or get hit on every single play. So coaches used to, or, or still do um, try to breed that toughness in their kids or in their players through themselves, right? They, they got, they got to walk around with this swagger. They got to walk around with this fight. They got to walk around with this nasty. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like when I was coaching the O-line, um, we had a lot of fight. 
we had a lot of nasty. We had very undersized kids that were just dogs for us. Um, but you got to make them fall in love with the position first, right? Because anybody who played youth football and, and maybe you had that little blue star on your helmet or whatever, signifying that, hey, you're, you're too big to play any other position. So you're going to play O-line, D-line type of thing. So we got to find ways to make it the most fun position on the team. Um, and then from there, once they fall in love with it, and that's kind of my, my main goal right now at JV is make these big kids fall in love with the line and then, and then shove them up to varsity where, the, where they can go learn some of that nasty. Um, but you got to be nasty, man. You got it. Everybody's seen it. The trenches are, are raw, dude. It's real in there. Um, you're getting hit every play. you you literally have defenses scheming up ways to ear hole you in the helmet. Like it's, it gets, it gets nasty. So you got to have some fight in you. And a lot of coaches used to breed that into their kids through, through their ways. Um, we've taken a different approach and I'm, I'm proud to say it's been very successful for us. Actually, I'm gonna brag on myself a minute because we, uh, we ended up finding a, a little stat here. Every single senior who has ever started on my offensive line, when I was coaching the line, every single senior who ever started made all conference. Wow. at least what we're doing is working. So make the kids fall in love with it first. And then you got to teach them that nasty, but yeah, they got to be nasty. I mean, they got, they got to be tough. They got to be tougher. They got to be the toughest ones on the, on the team. Cause it hurts to play offensive yeah. line. All right, let's kick over to discord now. And I, I I'll be honest. I don't think we're going to quite make it over to Facebook, but um, this is going to be a draft hobbyist takeover. He's got a ton of questions for us, but let's start at the top. Will we continue to use a Darius Smith inside for certain situations? Absolutely. I mean, he's a big, tough body. I mean, you'd be, you'd be silly not to, if you're Joe Barry and you have, I mean, think of it, right. You still got, uh, you still have Preston, right. You still have Gary, right. So you got, you got a couple of guys you can send off the edge, fire off the edge, whatever you got to do. Um, Zedarius Smith is an athlete and he's got a big body. Like there's times where, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put him in the middle. Um, if I, if I put his hand in the dirt in a two, four, five type of set, and him and Kenny eat some double teams while I can free up my backers. Sweet. There's times I'll put him off the line of scrimmage and where he'll actually look like a Mike or a Sam backer um, and let him fire from there with a, a full head of steam on the O-line. So I would totally keep using him inside and outside. Move that dude around. He seems smart enough. He's definitely athletic enough. Yeah, let him fire. All right, Coach, believe it or not, time is flying today, but we're about at the halfway mark. So why don't we take a break? We'll come back and we got a question from Mr. Goose. Oh, yeah, Goose. All right, we're back with Coach Hahn. We got a question from Gooseman488. He says, and Goose likes to ask very big and broad questions. Last time he says, can you teach me the football? Today he wants to know how our run game works. <laughs> um, I know I've been rambling already today. I'm very excited for football <laughs> coming back in. So I've been rambling off the hook already. Love it. Uh, could do an entire clinic on just green bay's run game specifically one play on wide zone but i'll i'll try to condense it as much as possible and stop rambling as much as possible you run everything in your run game through a play called wide zone where the offensive line is looking to push the defensive line a little bit outside and your running back is looking for a crease somewhere in there and you never really know where it's going to be depending on the defense but they're looking for a crease somewhere in there that they can go ahead and get vertical with. So they always start a little bit horizontal and then they look to get vertical up the field as fast as possible through that crease. Um, from there, you've got a lot of fun stuff, a lot of additions, a lot of RPOs, a lot of inside zone, outside zone, little gap scheme that you can do throughout it, but your bread and butter is wide zone. And I'd love to do a video on exactly how wide zone works. Maybe I'll put that as, yeah, I can put that as video number two here after that NFC championship game. So we got a bunch of questions here from Mr. Draft Hobbyist. Question number one, and again, I don't know if this is your forte, but give it your best. He says, what colleges are best for producing talent that would be useful for our offense and defense? What colleges should we avoid? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um, I'm going to file that under pretty much impossible to answer. However, if you're looking O-line, um, I'm looking at Wisconsin and Iowa. Um, just because they are just machines at that. Oregon's come a long way on that. Um, if you're looking at skill positions, I know you guys just drafted Amari Rogers from Clemson. 
But if you're looking at skill positions, anytime you can get into something that runs a very high level offense, Mm -hmm. I'm talking Baylor, uh, like we mentioned, Clemson, um, Ohio State, just something that proves that you're intelligent enough to hang a little bit um, with this offense. That's where I'm going. And then um, I'm really, really looking at, you know, I'm going to probably avoid the Big 12. Um, if it comes to a defensive play as much as possible and just kind of a broad spectrum, I'm looking SEC schools. Um, if you're looking broad spectrum, defensive type of players. The second question, um, it's a multi-part, but I want to focus heavily on the end of the last part of the question. He says, the Packers have a history of drafting players for a new coach and coordinator, but 2021 was a pretty balanced draft. Do you think we'll go heavy defense in the 2022 NFL draft? What positions do you think we'll draft and what positions will gain and lose priority under Barry? So um, essentially, you know, we, we, we like to feed our guys, right? When, when uh, Petten came in, we got him his guys. Then when LaFleur had a year to evaluate, we got him his guys. Who are the guys for Barry, especially looking at the team and what we do or don't have? If, if you're, you know, the GM, what guys are you going to go get for Mr. Joe Barry? Uh, great question. You know, like I said, I have no idea what this year is going to hold. Yeah. Who knows if Rodgers and Cobb are coming back, like all that drama, right? You got a lot of question marks on offense. Specifically looking at defense, I'm listening to Joe Barry. My guess is he's going to really focus again on inside linebackers because that's the way that he runs his defense, right? His defense goes through those two dudes, whether he's in a 3-4, a 4-1, a 2-4-5, it doesn't matter. He's running it through those inside linebackers. So I'm going to give him the keys to the kingdom when it comes to drafting. I'm going to say, hey, you go find the backer that you want, um, and and we'll spend our first-round pick on that. From there, you go ahead and build your defense around it, um, hopefully being able to sign Jair back because, man, he's nasty. (laughs) Got another question here from draft hobbyists that are going to make my eyes glaze over, but he says, uh, we hear a lot about abbreviations for different positions, such as X, Y, and Z for wide receivers. Are there any, we don't hear much about. Yeah. You were talking a little bit earlier. Up to the coach. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I know guys who call their on receiver on the left side, the F I don't really get it. The way that we work it here in McFarland, we try to keep it as simple as we can for the kids. So it's just like you read, right? From left to right mm-hmm. um, in alphabetical order, we go with the X is the on receiver to the left. The Z is the on receiver to the right. And then from there, we mix it up and we give them abbreviations um, just depending on what their, their title is. So the M for us is that slot receiver, that dude that we want to get the ball to as often as possible. The M is our special kid. The H is kind of the hybrid type of that, where it can be a tight end. It could be a fullback. It could be another slot receiver in 10 personnel, whatever. You were talking a little bit on defense and you were a little confused on corners, right? You got an F corner and a B corner. Mm -hmm. What that means, especially in the Arkansas or kind of that Aranda set um, from Wisconsin is you're going to have a field corner. That's what the F stands for. And he's going to always play to the field, to the wide side of the field. Then you got a B corner, which is the boundary corner. And in Aranda set, that's your best corner. Because they're gonna, most teams are going to attack the boundary, and you can easily give the field corner some help with the safety. So that's what F and B stands for. And then this is where coaches get wild, man. Defensive coaches are just a whole nother mindset where they're going to have. They don't call it a will backer; they call it a jack backer, or a mm-hmm. joker, or a smoker. You know, there's all sorts of different names for essentially the same position. You see that now with the star player for Joe Barry. Yeah. We call it a star. Star. Hey, who's our star? Dude, that's a nickel. <laughs> like your, yeah. your star is nickel. Like it, it's just a, a, a fifth defensive back. So everybody calls it different things. And you'll, you'll start to learn to translate that when you're around the game more. Question number four, he says the defensive line will sometimes slant. How big of a benefit for versus cost is it? If they get the slant right versus wrong, is it a bigger cost than reward? Man, this it's it's like he was listening to the podcast and asking questions live, right? Yeah. These are so good. Um, the slant is huge, huge, especially in passing situations, because now you're dragging offensive linemen. You're taking their eyes with you. Um, you're going to cheat. Everybody cheats in the trenches. Um, so as you're slanting that defensive line, you're grabbing the backside shoulder pad and pulling the offensive lineman with you so that 
maybe if his eyes are disciplined, his body can't be disciplined anymore because you're literally tugging him and open a gap. Um, so the slant is huge. And we'll see that in the video that I'll make for the NFC championship game. The negative is, yeah, if they pick that slant up. You've got an open gap. So if you're slanting and you don't have any backside help with it and it's a run, whoo, baby, or you're against a mobile quarterback, like you've got an, a, a gap wide open and unaccounted for. So all comes down to your execution. It can be unbelievable. It can be so, so, so very good. You can create turnovers off it, like we saw with Jair's pick um, against the Buccaneers, or you can get absolutely gashed. So there's a cost-benefit analysis on it, but that's, that's football, right? Everything has a pro and a con. Final question. How does Joe Barry like to stop the run? Does he like to run blitz? Yes, he does. Again, <laughs> he fires everything through those inside backers, and those are his babies. Um, he's going to ask them to, to flow a little bit, a lot like Petten did, but he's a lot more aggressive. I mean, those guys are going to go ahead and get downhill. Again, cost-benefit analysis. Um, you're going to get a lot more negative plays. I guarantee it. You're going to have a lot more negative run plays this year. Uh, that does kind of open the door for some bigger plays, though, if you don't hit it. Right. If if you get picked up or if you get cracked or the offense makes a great adjustment and you're stuck in an inside run blitz, um, just like in Madden. Right. Just think about engage eight. Like everybody used to run engage eight and like Madden 05. Right. Yep. Um, if you can get that ball. All off, it's a touchdown. If not, it's going to be a stop. You know, I mean, it, it's black and white when it comes to that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I think Barry's going to be a lot more aggressive, kind of like Petten was in his earlier days with Cleveland. All right, moving on, Mr. Andy Monday has a pile of questions for us. First one, kind of getting back to that Tampa game. He says, how do the new offensive line draft picks help solve some of the issues we had against Tampa if they do? Uh, Josh Myers, we keep coming back. That yep. is a great pick. Um, he's not going to be Corey Lindsley to, to start it off. Don't get me wrong. Corey Lindsley was not the problem in Tampa. Yeah. Um, it was your tackles. And obviously, we know yeah, you, you got a couple of guards playing tackle. It's, it's going to happen, right? Um, but I think your, your center position is still solidified. I think the big deal is, yo, you're going to have Bach back at some point in time at left tackle. Now you got this new dude coming in from Tennessee at right tackle. So now you can allow those two guards to really specialize, you know, um, my guess is it's going to be Jenkins and Turner who are very good guards. Now they can specialize and stop having to worry about edge rushers and go ahead and, and play their guard position. And then you got a couple of real quality backups, like, Rick Wagner and, and whoever it's going to be, if it's Yash Nyman or, or Royce Newman or whoever it's going to be there, um, you got quality, like you have very quality backup offensive yeah. linemen, so you can feel comfortable about it. My guess is your offensive line goes from a pretty good O-line, all things considered last year with all the injuries and everything, to all of a sudden like, whoo, baby, like you are, you are going to have a moving unit if everyone can stay healthy. Next question, I know I wanted to ask you this, and you kind of mentioned that it's uh... – a little bit of a tough one, but in your opinion, how does the return of Cobb fit the Matt LaFleur scheme? Does the move have more benefit than simply appeasing Aaron Rodgers? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I got to be careful how I word this because I, I don't want to come out uh, guns ablaze here and then have it flop. But bottom line is, we all know this. It's no secret. They got him for Rodgers, but there's mm -hmm. something Rodgers likes in Cobb. We talked about it a little bit before uh, on last week, before we even knew that Cobb was coming back, we, we kind of highlighted some of his stuff and what he does in motion and how he's so locked in. I mean, these two guys have chemistry. They know exactly what each other's thinking. It's going to be huge. It, it, it's massive for all the times we get mad at EQ and, and these types of guys for, you know, a drop two point conversion, let's say, or something like that. Um, those are plays that Cobb just makes. He's a very reliable dude. I don't know how much he lost down in Houston. I don't know what he still got left in the tank. That's, that's not up to me to, to kind of evaluate, but I just think chemistry wise, it's, it's going to be massive. The way these two run scramble drill, it just yeah. blows my mind. I told you guys, I started really following the Packers in the prime Cobb years. Um, when things break down, Aaron knows exactly where Randall is. Randall knows exactly where Aaron wants to go with the ball. And, and they just figure it out. So um, it's going to be fun to watch. Hopefully going to be fun to watch. Next question. He says, who will be Green Bay's biggest challenge in the NFC as far as matchup problems? So if you look at the landscape, knowing what you know about the Green Bay Packers, what's a team with their strengths and weaknesses that you go and you look at and go, man, good or not, this is a team that's going to give you guys some problems. 
Love it. Um, I could easily take the easy route out and just say Tampa again, because we know <laughs> yeah. what they do, but right. there is another team and you guys are just going to stab me in the neck. As soon as you see me on the streets, <laughs> there's another team out there that does exactly what Tampa does and gives you the de- defensive schematic nightmares that they do. They just haven't traditionally had the dogs to totally execute it yet. Um, but they're coming around and it's the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Um, you got to be wary of this defense. It is so, so Zimmer's always been that dude in Cincy. Zimmer was that dude in Dallas as a DB's coach. Zimmer was that dude. Um, so schematically he makes perfect sense. Um, if he, if he ends up getting those dogs and he gets those players that execute it the way he wants it, they're going to give you a lot of trouble guys. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't be that, upsetting i mean we've seen it you know it wasn't that long ago that minnesota's defense was just it was it was a nightmare i I don't remember exactly what the year was if it was 17 or 18 or something like that but man i remember that you just you couldn't even move the ball against the defense it was just unbelievable and the offense wasn't the terrible compliment um you know they're they're a good team on both sides of the ball and like you said it's just a matter of can they find the guys or not um but coach you with me yeah, I, I okay. still got this. Sorry, man. I, All right, I I'm just making sure. I, I wasn't sure. I saw your video dropped, and I'm like, I hope you just cut it, and I didn't just completely lose them, and I'm just talking to myself. Yeah, my bad. I guess in hindsight, I could have let you know that. That's I was- all right. I, that's fine. Um, all right, so moving on now. He says, since you're not a Packers fan, would you attempt a boom roasted of Green Bay? And uh, let's, uh, let's limit this to uh, – <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I ain't doing it. I am. Okay. I am right. not doing it, man. I mean, you guys have been so welcoming to me. Your <laughs> fan base has been so awesome. But you know, and the glimpses I get in Twitter and, and, and Facebook, whatever, of just how how passionate you are. Um, <laughs> no, no, I ain't gonna do it. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Good, good decision. Um, in the NFC North, is there a positional group that will give the Packers some particular trouble? So, similar question. Um, obviously, you already mentioned the Vikings, but. Looking at position groups, whether it's the Vikings wide receivers, say the Bears edge or whatever it is, which like group is kind of really talented that the Packers might have trouble with? You guys are going to laugh at me really, really hard. I know. And, and that's fine. Um, but you kind of alluded to it earlier. I'm really interested to see what Goff is going to do up in Detroit. Okay. Um, there's going to be it's going to take a year or two. I think they got their dude uh, as the coach and Dan Campbell. Uh, he's just a a wild man. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know. It, it seems like a lot of passion, a lot of excitement in Detroit right now. I think their offense, once, once they get a couple of playmakers, um, their offense is going to be something to watch. Are a problem. Um, and Khalil Mack is always going to be an issue. I mean, he could be 45 years old with one leg missing and the dude is still <laughs> going to be an issue. So, um, each team kind of has a smattering, but right now, I, I think you guys are obviously in the lead for the division. I think you guys are the most well-rounded team, um, in the division, but you know, I mean, one or two key injuries or, or, or something doesn't quite click or whatever. And it's, it's wide open. So what, what do you know? So let's elaborate about, on that. Do you, do you have a somewhat of an understanding of the offense that they're going to be running in Detroit or, or not so much? No idea. It's a great okay. question. I have no idea. I spend almost zero time watching the Lions yeah. um, because in my limited free time that I devote to the NFL, I like to watch Green Bay. I like to watch New England. I really like watching the Cardinals and I really like watching the Chiefs. So I have no idea, man. His next question says, uh, Ryan might have to explain this one. What are some one-offs on the Packers this season? Um, so he explained that to me before. Essentially what he's talking about are um, players or positions that impact other positions. So um, I expect so-and-so to play well because of this. For example, Kenny Clark is going to have a good year. You talked about it a little bit last time because of the edge rushers and them really taking a step or, or something to that effect. So who are some of the guys that you think are going to benefit the most from the play of other players? <laughs> that, now that's an intelligent football question. That's really cool. Um if the inside linebackers for Green Bay can execute the way Barry wants them to, Savage and Amos will have an unbelievable year. Um, nice. If the inside backers can execute, and you're going to forget about them, and many fans will be calling for their heads when things don't go quite right um, because they're going to have a difficult job. But, man, if I'm a safety 
if I, let's say I'm the strong safety and I know that we got Tampa coming, that allows me to play a hundred percent Rob. That means literally my whole job is looking for a post that's crossing my face and baiting the quarterback into throwing it. You know, uh, it's, if these, if these inside backers can execute the way Barry wants them to, your safeties are going to explode. And then we've kind of touched on this from a couple different ways, but uh, I'll have you touch on it a little bit again. He says, what are the distinctions between Pettin's philosophy and play calling and those of Joe Barry? Yeah. Um, when, when Pettin got to Green Bay, um, I, I was excited to watch him. I know a lot of others were excited to watch him because he was so aggressive at his previous stops. I keep thinking of Cleveland, man. Yeah. And he was just, he was just so aggressive there that it was, it was like boom or bust. And a lot of times it was more boom, honestly, uh, with guys like Joe Hayden, um, than it was bust. Now when he got to green Bay, it, it seemed to kind of take a different route. And I don't know if that was personnel driven or if he was yeah. hearing things from front office or, or, um, head coach or whatever that was. I don't know what the issues were, but it went from, you know, hyper aggressive, go get them, go get them to all of a sudden, um, a little more vanilla, like we had talked about already. So, um, I don't think Joe Barry's going to be that way. I think he's going to be a little more aggressive. I think he's going to trust his secondary a lot more. You're going to see a lot more man, a lot more cover one, cover one, Rob, that sort of stuff. Um, and he's going to turn that front seven loose a little bit more. I think you're going to see an increased pass rush. I think you're going to see a lot more movement on the D line, hopefully, um, and a lot more trust in the inside linebackers. We got another question here from Mr. Goose. He says, um, what are your thoughts on the new offensive tackle? He's referring to Dennis Kelly. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch him, the uh, Tennessee Titans offensive tackle, but if you have, what did you think? Yeah, the only time I really watched him was last year um, when you guys were getting ready to play the Titans. I believe it was week 15, if I'm not mistaken, something like that, uh, later in the season, where JJ and I sat down and did some film study on on the Titans, and he did pop off the screen. I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm thinking of the right guy, if he played right tackle number 77 for the Titans, um, JJ and I made note of him. Like, there's a reason Derrick Henry was really, really yeah. good. Um, and and a lot of it came down to him. I mean, they love to run gap to his side, knowing that he could act, absolutely crush down a defense. He's a big, strong dude. Um, other than that, I don't have a ton of, of knowledge of him. I, I see kind of some of these stats come out where he played X amount of snaps with no sacks allowed. And, you know, some of that is, is definitely personnel, but then, you know, some of it is scheme driven. I know that the Titans love to max. Um, they'll go seven man protection. They don't care. Um, Cause they know that, you know, they're running the ball. So a little play action, seven man protection. So I don't know. Um, but it, it, it's certainly not going to help <laughs> being the O-line apologist that I am like the more depth you get there. Sweet dude, the better. Speaking of a uh, very, very good question here um, directed at an offensive line coach at heart, as you like to say, but um, he says, coach Hahn, super early predictions, but what do you think our starting offensive line would look like? Who will be the depth pieces and where? So again, I'll just lay this out. Um, obviously you don't know as a prediction, but if you were to lay out the offensive line, how would you like to see it? Is Bach healthy? Um, we'll say, we'll say yes. If box healthy, this one is the easiest question in the world. Okay. Your left tackle is Bach. Your left guard is Jenkins. Your center is Myers. Your right guard is Turner and your right tackle is Kelly. That's easy, right? All right. If box not healthy, that's where things get a little more dicey. Cause now you got to take a look at, are we going to run Runyon at a guard? Are we going to ask, you know, Kelly to make the switch to left tackle and, and, you know, maybe put Rick Wagner back out there. I don't know. You know, that's where things get dicey. But if Bach, I mean, Bach is that pivot point, right? If he's healthy, you've got a solid line and you feel great about your depth. If he's not there, um, things get a little more dicey because now you got guys playing out of position. All right. So that is it for just, we actually were ripping through these pretty quick. So we'll see what we can do on Facebook here. Maybe we can get through all the questions. I, I told him right off the top, there's no way we're getting through it, but we're making some pretty good headway here. Um, trying to be as condensed as possible, man. I could. I, I completely understand. I'm kind of in the same. All day long. I'm in the same mode. I'm I'm trying to get through all these questions if we can. So, um, question here from Thomas Austin. Uh, multiple parts, but kind of going back to that Tampa game again. Uh, first question: Why couldn't with the Packers capitalize on three interceptions? Uh, yeah, it came down to pressure. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you got all those picks 
late in the game um, and you were a little slow to pick up pressure. There's a lot of key plays going late third quarter, early fourth quarter, where it's like, man, you, you had it here. You had it here. You had it here. Just give that, give 12, another half second, give him another half second. Let this play. Re- I mean, there was so many times where you had MVS and there's nobody that can run with MVS on that Tampa squad. Holy smokes. But there's so many times where you had him if it was another half step, you know? Um, so I think it comes down to, to pressure and just how, how you pick up in pass pro. Then a pretty good question here. He says, uh, with the breakdown on defense last year and the stagnation on offense this year, how can a 13 and how can 13 and three teams drop off in big games so drastically? So that's, that's something that, is obviously driving us all crazy, right? We see how good the team is, offensive, defensive. They win a ton of regular season games. And it's it's not even so much that the team is um, – I, I don't even know how to put it, but they just – they play so poorly in those games. I mean, guys just don't show up. And, and, again, you're going over the scheme and things, but it just – it kind of is a very frustrating thing to see su- a team that is so dominant in asserting what they do, right? We take it to you. And then they, they look like children out there. They, they just get embarrassed in the NFC championship game. So how does it, how does that compute where a team that is so talented in, in most facets of the game can go out there and just get embarrassed two years in a row? Uh, it's, it's a great question. And I feel like while asking that question, you answered it at a broad level a little <laughs> bit um, comes down to some coaching mistakes or some play calling mistakes, some adjustment mistakes as we've alluded to earlier. And then honestly, it comes down to execution as well. And I don't know yeah. if I agree with the term embarrassed. I don't think Green Bay got embarrassed at all. You lost by what, five? You had a chance at the end. You know what I mean? So I don't know if I agree with embarrassed, but if you take a look at big plays, that really kind of opened things up. Um, thinking of that that decent kick return um, right after MVS dropped the two-point conversion, which was another big play that comes down to execution, yep. right? He's on a whip route. He runs a perfect route. The ball hits him right in the hands and he drops it. I mean, he catches that. It's a three-point game. And then the kick return right after that, MV, or, uh, excuse me, um, EQ was playing lights out on special teams up to that point. I think he had two tackles on kickoff up to that point. I mean, he was doing a, a great job. He was just crushing it. And then you see him kind of get in his head a little bit after dropping that key two point and on kickoff, he allows himself to, to get kicked out to the sidelines, um, which you can't do. And you see Mickens take it up to the 40, 45 and put Tampa Bay in pretty good position. So, I mean, there's little plays like that that continue to build on each other um, execution wise. And then, you know, there could have been some more adjustments on the defensive line and the offensive line, to be honest. Fun question here from Justin on Facebook um, kind of brings me back to a little bit of what we talked about yesterday in terms of, how do you choose who goes in motion? But he says, we saw a ton of it last season, but why is it so hard to stop a tight end coming across the formation on play action? And again, kind of reiterating what we talked about last uh, week, it seems counterintuitive. You got this kind of in, in terms of in NFL terms, one of the slower, more lumbering guys coming across the formation, you wouldn't expect him to be able to do much, especially in a, a passing situation, but depending on the scheme and, and whatnot, there's a lot of success with these kinds of plays. So um, why is that so hard and why is that becoming so prevalent in the NFL? Great question. It's because he has two jobs. You know, you have to account for him two ways. Yep. So when a tight end shifts or trades or, or whatever they do to switch from one side of the formation to the other, a lot of defenses set their strength to the tight end. So as a tight end moves, now the defensive strength has to move. Now your job switches from, okay, I have backside contain if I'm an outside backer to all of a sudden I have to start to set that he- that hard joint, excuse me, on run. Or, you know, should it, it be a pass or even play, play action with tight end motion is just nasty because you're thinking run, you're thinking they're switching the strength to run the ball. And then you, you get up into his grill and it's a, a quick move and he's gone. And you're right. They are a little bit more lumbering for the NFL. But remember, a lumbering dude for the NFL is right. – the best athlete we've ever met in our life. Right. So all of a sudden it's, it's one quick swim move and he can go ahead and get into open grass. See offense always has inherently the advantage over defense in football because the way, the way the rules are the offense quote unquote holds the chalk last, meaning they get to draw up the play because they have the snap count. So they can put the defense in a position, move that around and then bam, hit it and go. So um, tight ends are, are super valuable. I do see them coming back in a large way as far as your, your traditional um, blocking tight end because a lot of teams' answers for tight end is still nickel. 
And so if you get a 6'4", 240 dude against, you know, 5'10", 190, I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes genetics just win. Another good question here from Justin. And I'll be honest, this is probably my biggest question about the defense and maybe the team largely. But he says, how can we expect the linebackers to improve this season from a weakness on the defense for years to potentially having the defense run through them? So, again, my, my biggest question is or, or concern is hearing you talk about how important the linebackers are and fully acknowledging that I think linebacker is the biggest weakness. Now, maybe maybe that's something to do with pet and scheme kind of making them not look great. I don't know. But it does make me really nervous to understand that this is a linebacker-driven defense, and that is not the strength of this defense. Sure. And to be honest with you, I don't know all the, you know, your, your personnel, especially at middle backer, I'm not incredibly familiar with. I know the names, but I haven't done extensive breakdowns on them, honestly, because I didn't quite understand their role in Petten's scheme. Yeah. So it's hard for me to sit there and judge and be like, you know, I, I knew it in a base level run scheme. I could see that that was pretty easy, but as far as what he's asking them to do in a exotic coverage situation in that, I didn't know. Therefore I can't really sit there and, and grade and judge them. Right. Um, but I, I know this much, um, the simple fact that you guys had Joe Barry pre-draft and you didn't draft a linebacker with yeah. the number one pick, uh, makes me think that at least he's thinking he's got something right. Um, so it, it's a great question. Um, it's one of those time will tell questions, but if, if Joe Barry took this job and, um, you guys didn't pick a linebacker with your first round pick. My guess is he's thinking he's got something here that he can work with. And um, you're going to go through and, and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, fair enough. And and it is obvious to me, and I, I don't necessarily get it. Maybe you can talk about it a little bit because you have been watching this defense, but it's painfully obvious to me that the Packers are really, really in love with Chris Barnes. They really like that guy. Um, again, I mean, he doesn't grade out via PFF very well, but, there's no question in the world that uh, Matt LaFleur and, and, and the guys over there really like Chris Barnes. Now help me out with this because I, you know, personnel I'm not always great with. Um, was he playing with a club in the NFC championship game? Is that the same dude? I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of the five is that, does that ring a bell? Let me, let me just Google who, what number he is. 51. I'm like 51. Okay. Um, so, well, 58 jumped off the page to me. Um, he was blowing up screens. He was taking the outside shoulder of the farthest offensive lineman so that Kevin King could come in and, and blow up a screen. Um, but who, whoever you got there, uh, it, be it Chris Barnes or Kiki or whoever these guys are, um, they might, they obviously have something that Joe Barry likes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be playing with some depth stuff. Um, Ty Summers, I think it's Ty Summers, number yep. 44. Saw a lot of yep. time towards the end of the game. Um, so, you know, maybe you have something there with him too. I don't know. It's almost an impossible question for me to answer. I understand. Not knowing the team as well as I should. And then on top of that, not knowing the personnel as well as I should. Um, but it's obvious you have something there that he likes. Well, if nothing else, I'm real excited for the season and maybe even you now the preseason, they don't really show as much, but for the season to get started and to kind of revisit this question and be able to ask you, you know, what you're seeing and, and what the, how the guys are doing and what the guys are doing. Um, Cause it is going to be interesting to break down this defense, especially uh, at the linebacker position to see if, if it kind of lines up with what you thought, or if it's going to be kind of like a petting thing where, you know, historically he always did this and then he came here and now he seems to be like a different kind of guy. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. Sure. Let's make a deal on that. Let's say by week three, um, I get you my thoughts on the linebackers so that we can have a little bit better understanding of them. Sounds good. All right. Our buddy, Mike Evans says, if you were a defensive coordinator, what role would you put Preston in? Clearly dropping back in any coverage was not his strong suit. I see him coming in on running downs more than passing. Sure. And uh, Mike, uh, I know I, I kind of talked to you for, for on Facebook a little bit. Thanks for reaching out. Um, I do have, I want to explain this just real quick for you, Mike. I do have a lot of drills I want to show you and kind of tailor them specifically to you and your youth program. However, right now is dead week, so I can't have any contact with my players. Um, so I can't really make a, a drill tape and break all the rules um, to get you some stuff that would end up hurting our program. So by next week, I will definitely have you some drill tape. I promise you that if I'm defensive coordinator and I have a dude like Preston Smith, I'm going to use him relatively similar to Zedarius. 
you know, I'm going to move him around as much as possible. I don't mind putting that dude's hand in the dirt. You know, if we got to, um, this is nothing against Dean Lowry and, and Tyler Lancaster, by the way. But if, if we got a couple of dudes that we feel confident can move on that defensive line, um, I'm going to use them to make Kenny Clark better. I'm going to use them in a nose smash or a nose twist type of scenario and let Kenny Clark run. I mean, the dude is a monster. He got a sack against Brady when they're playing the most vanilla stuff ever. They come out and double team him in pass pro. He splits the double team perfectly, gets a sack on Brady, comes back. Um, first play of the second drive of the second quarter, if I'm remembering correctly, splits a double team and drops four net in his like, this is the dude that I want moving around. Yeah, he can eat doubles sometimes, but. This is the dude I want moving. This is my freak. And I can use Preston. I can use Zadarius. I can use Lowry and Lancaster and kind of cover up some of their flaws um, by just making them a smash man and letting Kenny Clark go eat. Well, I don't know how we did it, but I think we did it. We got one more question left. We'll, we'll get it done. And we are about perfectly timed here. Um, Patrick had a question and we kind of already talked about it, but I guess I'm just going to twist your arm a little bit more for some more specifics on this. He wants to know about Randall Cobb again. Um, he says, how much are we going to see Cobb and Rogers together on the field at the same time? What advantage can that have for the offense? You mentioned there um, how much they kind of get along and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I guess two points here. Number one, do you think that he's going to be utilized a lot or do you think he's just going to be one of the guys? And then secondarily, um, as a slot in this offense and not necessarily an Amari Rogers kind of slot, but just a true you know, route running put him in the slot and that's all he does kind of a guy when you're looking at Matt LaFleur's scheme um, how prevalent of a position is that and what what is the primary role of a guy like Randall Cobb in that position bro it's everything I mean it is everything um, and for Green Bay to go out and get him like he did or like they did excuse me and super uh, you Packer fans know it's super uncharacteristic yeah. of, of Green Bay traditionally for them to go out and get him like he did, it's not just Rodgers. Trust me, they, they're not going to go out and spend all this money and gamble the franchise on a year um, just because Rodgers wants a guy. There's value in Randall Cobb. Uh, we talked about his intelligence and just how, how, how keen he is on some of the motion stuff or his comp routes or scramble drill and all that sort of stuff. But guys, you're going to see Randall Cobb a lot. I'm, I'm going to be the guy who sits here right now and says, yeah, draft him fifth, sixth round on your fantasy team. I'm not lying. You're going to see him a lot. And even if he doesn't have that huge production year like he should, I guarantee you we're going to go back and you're going to see Randall Cobb on the line of scrimmage so that Devontae can come off the line of scrimmage. And they're a lot more comfortable with that than with, you know, maybe somebody who doesn't complement that role as much. And then think about it, man. There was a point in time when you had like Malik Taylor and there was another Taylor and they were all on the field with yep. like Jay Sternberger. And that was just last year. Right. Yep. So you're talking depth, solid, solid depth there. I don't know who you're going to carry and who you're going to cut. Obviously that's something that I'm not familiar with at all, but you put Cobb on the line, you get Devonte off. Now you can motion Devonte. Now Devonte can't get jammed um, in a cover one press situation. There's all sorts of tools. There's all sorts of reasons you got Randall Cobb aside from Aaron Rodgers wants him, you know, and <laughs> one thing we're missing here. Yeah. It might be a friendship or, or something like that, but there's a reason 12 wants that dude. You know, he knows exactly what he brings to the table offensively. And it makes a quarterback's job so much easier when you can look out to your right and you can see your H receiver on and your Z receiver off and you have absolute confidence. It could be three on two out there. They could have a nickel on the H. They could have a corner on the Z with a safety shaded above it. And you still feel pretty confident because at the end of the day, we can scheme stuff through the roof. But everybody knows it comes down to Jimmy's and Joe's. You know, it's not yeah. X's and O's, it's Jimmy's and Joe's. So, yeah, you can scheme stuff up and it could look real pretty on a whiteboard. But if you got a dominant dude out there, why not just chuck him the ball? You know, and if you put dude, two dudes out there that you really trust, uh, that makes everything a little bit better. Well, Coach, as always, it's been a lot of fun and I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and you got a lot of stuff to prepare for for the uh, football season. But I know everybody listening really loves when you're able to get on and kind of provide another level to this thing and uh, I'm really really excited for the season to get started and to really get your insights as we move through uh, the 2021 Green Bay Packers season man I had so much fun with you guys thank you so much I'm gonna actually try to get to a Packer game this year we've been kind of nice. in talk here of you know 
my my wife is a huge Packer fan. All my friends are huge Packer fans. So we're going to try to get up to Lambeau. I saw a bunch of your listeners that I really enjoy um, following going up there on October 3rd. So yep. maybe we'll sniff that around a little bit and um, have a lot of fun. It's been just a joy watching Green Bay, and it's been a joy talking to you and, and all of your listeners. So um, looking forward to it, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. You guys take care. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com